0: i'm super excited let's get right into it you know my guest of course you do because he's been on everything he was on just for laughs he's been on the comedy network he's been on jimmy kimmel you saw him on roast battle and if you don't know any of that shit you for sure know him as squirrely dan from the hit show letter kenny i am so excited and super thankful that he did the show i really appreciate it and we're just gonna get right into it here he is k trevor wilson how's it going buddy not too bad how you doing jeff i'm doing well man thank you so much for uh for being here i really appreciate you taking the time no problem uh, so, K. Trevor Wilson, not your real name. Real name Trevor K. Wilson. Is that right? That is that is correct. Yeah. Is correct.
1: And it's a clever ruse.
0: Yeah. Is it true that, <laughs> uh, that an agent, when you first got into the business, an agent told you that you have to change it for ACTRA
1: purposes? It, it, it wasn't my agent. It was, in fact, ACTRA. When, uh, when I joined the union, there was another Trevor Wilson. And uh, the union has this thing about uh, repeat names. Um it's highly recommended if uh, you share the name of someone else working you uh switch your name uh to avoid professional confusion and to make sure uh that they don't send uh, the wrong person your money. Right. So <laughs> yeah. when uh when I started professionally, uh there was another Trevor Wilson. I actually think my first job uh on Goosebumps, the very first gig was credited as Trevor Wilson because I needed that credit to join the union. And then after that, it became K. Trevor, and they might have retroactively fixed the credit, uh, but for a while, there was like, if you looked me up on IMDB, there'd be K. Trevor Wilson, also credited as Trevor Wilson. Um, Yeah, so uh, there was another Trevor Wilson who uh, I've never seen him uh, in anything. Uh, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who he is. Uh, the you only guys thing have never worked done,
0: together. Never crossed Never paths. worked
1: together. Oh, 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 and No one I've ever met has worked with this Trevor Wilson either. They, the only thing I know that he's done has prevented me from uh, being myself professionally. So uh, we were tossing around ideas for stage names and we didn't want to go uh, too far. Uh, you know, we didn't want to go crazy here and, and uh, completely come up with the 100 false Hundred percent false name, you know. No Nick caging it up here, right? Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, we were thinking Trevor K. Wilson, as as is my actual name, an uh, initial placement. But my agent uh, Mary Swinton was like, you know, there's not a lot of front end initials. Uh, it's pretty much like A. Whitney Brown, F. Murray Abraham, and that's it. And uh, maybe we'll take if you took that middle initial, threw it out front, you got K. Trevor Wilson. You got a unique sounding name and i was like yeah yeah you know what i like it uh it's uh it's different uh, people notice it so we did it and it accidentally turned out to be because this is a few years before the internet really took off uh so we didn't even think about internet marketing back then but as it stands right now i believe i'm the only k trevor wilson on the internet so uh, you look that up, I'm the only guy showing up. So it, it turned out to be accidentally a pretty good marketing tool because there's a lot of Trevor Wilsons out there. Uh, there was a Trevor Wilson who pitched for the San Francisco Giants back in the 80s, and, you know. Uh, I think the kid who played Jeremy in the Jeremy video was a Trevor Wilson. Uh, <laughs> and there's me. So. <laughs>
0: well, now you're the only K-Trevor. Wilson out there. So, uh, you've, you've stood above the rest.
1: <laughs> what does the, uh, what does the K stand for? It's, uh, it's my middle name, uh, Kingsley, which is also my maternal grandfather's name. Uh, Kingsley oh, wow. Scholler. Yeah. Kingsley. That's a wicked name. It's a good solid handle. People always ask me why I don't go by it. And I'm like, well, cause it's not my real name and it would just get very confusing. But, uh, Kingsley, is what it stands for. And uh, it's a family name. Actually, I have a, a second cousin now. My cousin, Graham, his, uh, his firstborn son is Maxwell Kingsley. Uh, so we're keeping the Kingsley tradition going in the family. Kingsley <laughs>
0: Trevor Wilson sounds like uh, like a prince. You would have had to go into a completely different line of
1: work. <laughs> so The first time I played the States, uh, everyone assumed I was a black comic based on my name. They thought they thought Kings Kingsley Trevor Wilson was definitely a black guy. So uh, (laughs) I was I was playing a club in Myrtle Beach, and uh, the 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 club owner was supposed to pick me up from the airport. He actually drove past me twice because, as he said, I was. He said I didn't I didn't look you up. I just hired you based on Matt Davis's recommendation. So I just assumed you were a black dude. So I just drove past the guy who looked like Yukon Cornelius. (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's awesome man um so (laughs) obviously uh everyone knows you as uh uh, squirrely dan from from letter kenny but uh that is you know that is obviously not where the career started so you mentioned goosebumps was that your first uh sort of introduction into the entertainment industry
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I got into the business uh, as a child actor. I'm watching my pet rabbit sneak into a bedroom she's not supposed to be in. Get out of there. Uh, it's um, awesome that
0: you have a pet rabbit.
1: Uh, we got two. We got two pet rabbits, uh, the Dorian Beans. They are free roam bunnies. So they just uh, are getting into mischief right now. Um, you just wander anyways. around the house? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, Wow. Are you ever concerned, like, do you have to check twice before you sit on the couch, like check under
1: cushions and shit? They're not that sneaky. Um, they, they don't really like the couch all that much. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit too tall. Uh, they really only come up here if they think we're hiding snacks. Ah, yes. Or just uh, when we're not here, they sometimes uh, uh, pretend it's fun. But for the most part, they're, they're actually not big uh, couch rabbits. So it's pretty easy to tell where they are. They're usually eating or sleeping <laughs> in one of three designated spots for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Uh, Sorry, so, we, yeah, we, the, we were talking about the oh, ghost yeah. Bumps, so, yeah. Uh, so, my first, I think technically my first professional gig was a short film for the Canadian film company called Day Pass. Uh, and I, I got that, I was like 14, 15 when I booked that. And they all thought I was like in my 20s uh, on set. I remember because when you're a kid actor, your parents legally have to accompany you. So I either had my mom or my dad on set with me. And after like the third day of filming, one of them uh, it was one of the producers was chatting with my mom. And uh, she was like, well, you know, I think he's enjoying getting the time off school. And they're like, oh, what, what does he in first, second year university? And they're like, it's like, no, no, grade nine. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like what and she's like yeah no he he just turned 15 and uh they were like oh this makes so much sense we all thought he was like 24 and uh just got like a dewey and that's why you and your husband had to keep bringing him to set so. <laughs> they all thought i was some drunk degenerate now it turns out i was just a kid oh uh, <laughs> that's awesome then uh, and then yeah and then my uh i i had a a role in in the one hour Goosebumps special, The Haunted Mask Part Two, uh, which uh, I was cut out of. Actually, my scene doesn't did not air. Oh I no! Found a bully uh, push around the main character uh, with uh, two other guys, and uh, the scene got cut. Uh, I'm going to say for timing, uh, for timing reasons, it was just the episode was running long. But uh, but I'm still I'm still named in the credits, and I still uh, get royalty checks for it. I actually. I actually just got a check uh, uh, and part of it was a whopping 98 cents for that uh, in royalties for that particular episode.
0: There you so, go. The uh, gift that keeps on giving.
1: They, they've started doing this thing, uh, bless their hearts at the union, where they, they started pooling together all of the residuals until it's a worthwhile number to send out, which I truly appreciate. Cause a few years ago they mailed me a 50 cent check <laughs> for a goosebumps episode. And it was like, I think it cost more to post this. Then you all actually right. paid me on this check. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you
0: even do with a check like that? Like, do, do you cash it or do you rip it up? You, or do you just keep it around. You, you
1: wait, you wait until you're, you're cashing a bunch of checks and then you slip it in there.
0: <laughs> What's the looks like from the, do you have to go to a teller with that? Or do you just go right to the ATM?
1: At, at the time I did have to go to the teller for that. And, uh, they were, uh, they were just like, is this all right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is it true you did a uh, – did you do a musical, um, a musical film about hockey with Nelly Furtado?
1: I did indeed. Uh, I had a very small part in uh, Score, the hockey musical, which came out a few years ago. It uh, debuted at TIFF. And uh, it, it's actually a really pleasant, uh, uh, nice film. It's, it's, you know, good music, great performances. Uh, Noah Reed from Shit's Creek – Uh, plays the lead in it he's uh, a hockey player who's uh, raised by hippies and is a pacifist Mm -hmm. Um, yeah Uh, it also uh, features Nelly Furtado who's the diehard fan of the fictional team the Brampton Blades and I was her I was essentially her sidekick I spent two days uh, filming in a a hockey arena in the north of the city sitting next to Nelly Furtado and I had uh, I was shirtless with uh, the, the fake team logo painted on my torso. So two days of uh, hanging out shirtless with Nelly Furtado. Uh, and she, she was a delight. I had a great time uh, working with Nelly. She was a lot of fun. Actually, one of her assistants uh, at the time uh, was a gal I went to high school with, Catherine. So it was really funny. Uh, I'm in hair and makeup with Nelly Furtado. And uh, this gal Catherine from my high school walks in and I'm like, hey, holy shit, what are you doing here? And, She's like, Oh, I, I work for Nellie. Uh, what are you doing here? I'm like, Oh, I'm the fat guy sitting next to Nelly. So, uh, <laughs> we got to chatting and, and Nellie hit me up for all the gossip on her assistant. And, uh, uh, you know, she's a, a great gal, really pleasant. Uh, we talked about the Olympics had just happened in Vancouver. So we were talking about that and how she got to go home to Vancouver and perform at the Olympic village, uh, which uh, she, uh, she said was a real highlight, but, uh, it was a great time. I think uh, Olivia Newton John was also in the movie. Hoxley uh-huh. uh, Workman was uh, was in there. Margaret Atwood uh, had a cameo, along with uh, Walter Gretzky and Theo Fleury. Like, uh, it's a super duper Canadian movie. Um, yeah, it was just a just a ton of fun. Great group of people, and uh, yeah, Noah and I, it, uh, you know, it's really funny because we met on that, and then over the years, the past few years. With Shits Creek and, and Letterkenny sort of having our parallel rises, uh, No and I have been running into each other all over the place at different awards and uh, shows and whatnot. Uh, and it's been great fun seeing his success. He went to high school actually with my little sister, so all these uh, you know six degrees of separation uh, of all these uh, Canadian TV shows. But uh, it's, it's been a it's been a blast watching his success and, and being able to sort of have that that parallel ride with him. And, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Actually last time I ran into him was, uh, uh, in the bathroom, uh, at the uh, ACC, we were both at the Leafs game. And, uh, for some reason we were both up in the nosebleeds. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the, if that isn't the perfect, uh, picture of Canadian celebrity, I don't know what is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Two Canadian, minor Canadian celebrities, hobnobbing at the urinals in the nosebleed <laughs> section of the hockey game
0: <laughs> that's great man so you mentioned getting into the industry uh, quite young what was it like back then um having to go in for auditions and stuff because obviously you you're like a young you know teenager and it's probably mostly adults and the directors and stuff in the room what was that like to go through that at such a young age
1: for me, I was always in a very weird spot uh, when I started out because um, I was I was always a really big kid. Uh, uh, when I was, you know, 14, 15, I, I was, uh, you know, 5'10", 5'11", uh, probably 220, 230, uh, and I had this voice, you know? So uh, <laughs> I was I was legally a kid, but, I uh, you know, it, it was quite often. Like, I, I remember... When I graduated grade eight uh, I was out visiting a buddy in Nova Scotia and I met a family friend of theirs and I was talking about graduating and going from uh, big fish small pond to small fish big pond and they were like what university are you going to and I was like oh high school uh, <laughs> <laughs> so everybody always thought I was older than, uh, than what I was which actually doesn't work out well for acting uh, for in the early years of acting, you want to play younger. Um, especially, like, most teenagers are in their 20s, like uh, the ones you see on TV, because they don't have the same rules and regulations. Like, uh, you know, up until you're 16, you can only work so many hours of a day. Uh, so they have very strict rules. So when they're bringing in a, a... They don't want to hire a 14-year-old to play 17 because they can't work a full a full scheduled day, so uh, I, I, I really struggled to get work uh, until I sort of grew into my voice and my frame, like until I was actually old enough to play adults. Like I feel like now I'm really hitting my stride as an actor because my age matches my face and tone. Right, like, I was 15, 16 years old and I already sounded like a haggard old, <laughs> like country Western singer. like. I've been up and down this road, let me tell you. And no one wants to hire that. I remember uh, when I was like 16, I auditioned to play uh, the younger version of a villain in like a science fiction project, and uh, the casting director sat me down, and she was like, you're perfect. You're perfect to play the adult version of this character. You just nailed the audition. She goes, but I can't use you for the adult version of the character because you're 16, and I can't use you for the teenage version of the character because you don't seem sixteen. So I just mm-hmm. let you know you were great, but there's no way in hell you're getting this job. And oh, <laughs> it's man. like, oh, I, I appreciate the honesty, but at the same time, maybe lie to me a bit.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, let me down a little easier.
1: And then, like said, and then that was a struggle being a kid actor, and especially when I started growing facial hair. Uh, you know, I had a I had a full beard by the time I was 17, so that just aged me out even more. And uh, wow, <laughs> I'd shave my my face for auditions and then grow it back. And you know, any role I got, I was I was frankly happy to get. And I always got roles I never thought I was going to get. Like, you know, I got cast as a pitcher on a TV show, and I remember going into the audition, and everyone else looked like they played baseball, and uh, <laughs> you know, I looked like. I look at, I, you know, on, on my best day, the only athlete you could compare me to is like Chuck Knobloch or Kirby <laughs> Puckett. Like I was definitely a John Cruck type. Right. Uh, <laughs>
0: John Cruck
1: yeah. type. So I was, I, was, I was really pleased when they hired me to play a, a pitcher. I was like, sure, I'll be an athlete. Why not? And you know, I didn't have to do any athletics. I just had to put on a baseball uniform walk across the field and go, I don't know where Davy is. You know, that was it. That was the extent of my role. Funny thing is that was an episode of a TV show called twice in a lifetime. And, uh, uh, so it was always like someone had to go, someone would always have a near death experience and then an angel would take them back into the past to fix something that happened. So, Oh, uh, I know that I, show. Yeah. Is that uh, what so the British, I, the British lady was like the angel or something? No, that was um, the British lady was uh, touched by an angel, but it was oh, si- similar. I think it was the same producers, similar concept. So I did like an episode in the first season of that. So I was in the flashbacks. So this was supposed to be like the nineteen sixties or seventies. But uh, the guy who played the grown-up version of my character in the present was um, uh, Frank McInulty, who later on was my sketch teacher at uh, at Humber College. Uh, and it was really funny that uh, like we, we played the same character on the same episode of the show and then years later he was my teacher the funny thing was uh, Frank was a good foot shorter than me uh, when I was 16 uh, oh wow <laughs> so the magic of film you wouldn't know that but uh, it, it was always funny apparently my character shrunk by a good foot uh, from the 1970s to the 1990s when we filmed that
0: that's great man um so in the uh in the early days like probably nobody who's been in acting would know how um sometimes awkward and uncomfortable uh, an audition can be is there a, a a moment you remember from sort of the early days of auditioning that you were just like i i can't even believe i'm doing this in this room in front of these people right now
1: uh, I had one audition that uh, I will never forget. Um, it was, uh, I think it was like a honeycombs ad. It was a serial spot. Uh, and I got, uh, my agent sent me to, to powerhouse casting in Toronto to, uh, to audition for this spot. And I got there and it was the oldest, like there's there's parents and kids in me and like, you take the parents out of the equation and I'm the oldest person in the room by a good five, six years. Like, uh, I, you know, I'm a teenager. Everyone else looks to be about nine or 10. And, uh, the, the casting assistant comes out of the office at one point and, uh, goes, uh, it's K Trevor Wilson here. And I throw my hand up and go, yep. And, uh, they, they look at me like I was speaking German. They just gave me the weirdest look. And then ignored me and then like brought someone else into the room. They came out a little while later and again, K Trevor Wilson here. Like, yep. And like, same look, like, you know, like, like my face is on fire. Just this incredulous look from this person and they ignore me, bring someone else in. And then a little while later, they come out again and they're like, okay, final call. Seriously is K Trevor Wilson here. And I'm like, I'm K Trevor Wilson. Like That's my photo in the stack on the file there like <laughs> it's me and they're like for real and I was like yeah why would I lie about that like this is Three getting times. me nowhere <laughs> so like all right and they bring me in and everyone in the room is like oh okay and what are you here I'm like yeah I'm here to audition for the role of serial kid and uh like oh, okay and, uh, like I could tell, I could just tell by the vibe they were looking for, you know, nine to 10 year olds. And, uh, somehow by mistake, I had gotten the call to come in and no one had the heart to tell me that like, they're not casting the 16 year old who looks like a 30 year old to sell cereal to children. You know, they don't want me going, this honeycomb's terrific. They just, that's not what they wanted. But they let me, you know, go through the audition and then uh, they're like, all right, thanks so much. That was, that was great. See you, see you around and send me out of the room. And I, I walked out and jumped on the payphone, and uh, cause this is how long ago it was. I jumped on the payphone and uh, called up my agent and they were like, how'd it go? And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that one was for me, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's, so was that just like, did your agent just miss Something in the in the call like that it was supposed no, to no she was like or?
1: she was like uh she's like they did a recall uh you know because they they said they wanted older than the first run so they'd submitted me and they'd like they'd accepted the submission. Like they you know the casting agents were like yeah send them in and then it's like someone was asleep at the wheel. So it was probably probably a screw up more more likely at the receptionist office at the casting agent than, than my agent's office, but Uh, I I definitely that was like one of those times where I I was like, okay, I uh, I shouldn't be here. Uh, (laughs) Like everyone, everyone thinks I'm, you know, a weirdo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why does this guy keep raising his hand every time they're asking for some kid to come in? What's the uh, it was ever an audition you went to where when you left, you were like, there's no way. But you ended up getting the job.
1: Yeah. It's happened a couple times. I've actually learned that uh, a lot of times when you think you've uh, completely bombed something uh, that uh, you did better than you thought, you know, sometimes you're your harshest critic. I, I remember auditioning for a, a commercial. Uh, I was about 17 or, or 18 at the time. Uh, and it was a uh, run of ads for the Chrysler 300M and they were uh, doing fake flashback ads. So uh, they, they shot the whole series in Super 8 to look like uh, authentic old home movies, and it featured like uh, authentic, like old school '70s cars. And we were all dressed and done up like uh, like it was the '70s. And I, I went to uh, a callback for uh, for this series of ads, and I was I was deathly ill with the flu. Uh, I'd, I'd been home for for a couple days, uh, just just my face was on fire and I was puking my guts out and, but I would never missed a fucking audition and I'd be damn sure I wasn't going to miss a callback. So my mom drove me downtown to, to do the callback audition. And then I was just, I was just like running, a, running a fever at death's door. You know, I had no energy and I got in there and I was just like, okay, I hope, I really hope someone else takes the lead because they, they wanted us to do a bunch of improv. And uh, so I was like, I hope someone else takes the lead. And, and uh, luckily, at an audition, everyone is super keen to get the job. So one guy really took charge with everything. And I just sort of leaned back and reacted. I just, you know, I, I, I didn't take the lead. And I wasn't overly uh, energetic, but I, I was present. And I paid attention to everything he did. And I was just reacting to what the other two guys were doing. And uh, I walked away going, well. You know, I shot myself in the foot. Those two guys were all over the place and, uh, you know, brought the thunder to that audition. And I was at death's door. And then uh, next day I get a call that I got the part and uh, I was like, oh, all right, well, I'm as surprised as you are with that one. So uh, so I ended up uh, having, having a day on that spot and it ended up getting uh, re-edited a bunch of times and ended up being like run as three separate spots. It was actually one of the most lucrative jobs uh, I had at that point in my career. It uh, had a good run. Uh, I made way too much money when I was 17. (laughs) (laughs) What was it like? um,
0: Were you, were you going to school as, as well? Uh, Like while, when you were doing the, the stuff in your, in your teens, were you also going to high school?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was at Etobicoke School of the Arts uh, majoring in drama, so I was going to school for it while doing it, and uh, which sort of, uh, uh, you know, the teachers were, were a little bit more uh, flexible when it came to, to letting us go out and, and work because that was kind of the point of the school. And um, there's actually a, quite a few kids uh, at ESA at that time that, uh, that were already working professionally. So uh, there, there was a bunch of us that we'd we'd bump into each other at auditions, and uh, uh, we'd sometimes be up for the same things. But actually, one of my good buddies in high school uh, is uh, my buddy Amos Crawley, and when we started in ninth grade, he was already he already had quite the resume, and he'd he was uh, uh, in Billy Madison. He was one of Billy's high school buddies. He was oh, the wow. guy who had the line about. Uh, I had a case of loser denial once until the lacrosse team shoved a parking cone up my ass. That was uh That's him. So, yeah, so uh so the school was actually pretty good about uh you know uh giving us time as long as we didn't miss too many classes and and uh and, and too much study. Uh but uh, but they they were pretty cool about giving us uh, uh, time off for for stuff like that. And uh, you know, it was it was fun, but it was like you know, between uh, all the the plays I was doing at, at school because like you know you go to an art school there's uh, the main stage shows every year but then also just a hundred little shows that people are doing for their grades so uh, between prof- working professionally doing school and, and the plays we did at school I was uh, I was always quite busy in high school always <laughs>
0: yeah that's awesome so in in going to that high school did you did you still have to take like math science
1: all that kind of stuff or oh, was yeah. it
0: solely no oh, okay so you still had to do that
1: no we, we still had all of the other classes but the the difference was every day we had a class in our majors so uh i think there were five majors you could have so uh drama uh musical theater uh straight up music um which was like band uh stuff like that so i majored in drama And uh, over the years, I took a couple minors, which you do like half a year uh, minoring in one of the other arts. Uh, I did visual arts and music theater as minors uh, over the years. But, uh, yeah, you have every other class, you know, uh, you know, all your sciences, all your uh, social studies, social sciences, uh, you know, geography. I had law, took a law course in high school.
0: Uh (laughs) Wow. What was your least favorite high school class to
1: take? Um, I I, I struggled in French, not going to lie, I had a tough time picking up another language. Uh, We we had a trick, though, with our grade nine uh, French teacher. Uh, You could could circumvent doing a lot of schoolwork if you just started asking her questions about the old country. Uh, (laughs) She would just, you just ask her questions about the old country and she'd go into these really long, long long-winded stories about her youth. And uh, that was a good way to, Get out of having to do uh classwork. Uh <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a nice move. Um when did uh when did stand-up comedy come into your life? What was your what was your first introduction to it?
1: You know, I'd always loved it as a kid. Uh I grew up uh you know, when we were kids, there was lots of stand-up on TV. Like I remember Arts and A and E had like evening at the improv and comedy on the road. And, uh, you know, there were still reruns of Bizarre on, uh, you know, Just for Laughs. So there was always a lot of stand-up on TV. And uh, growing up, I'd always been a fan of it. I think, you know, I'd, I'd rent Eddie Murphy's Raw or Delirious from Sax Video and, and watch them all weekend and memorize them and then perform them for my friends at school. And uh, I think... Grade nine, I auditioned for the talent show to do stand up, but then the talent show got canceled that year for some reason. I, I can't remember exactly what happened. Uh, but uh, my first real uh, stand up set was um, my first year at uh, Humber College, taking the comedy writing and performance. And uh, it was probably September of that year, uh, a bunch of us uh, called out to the ajax yak because it was easier to get on stage in ajax It's like at best if you got in good with jack norman the best you could do is once a month at the downtown club but you could do every two weeks at the ajax club so we would all pilgrimage out to ajax on tuesdays or wednesdays whenever open mic night was and uh, so my first set was uh ajax yak open mic night i believe uh uh who was on that show it might have been Tim Nutt hosting with Martha Chavez uh, headlining, or I, I remember Mark Trinidad was at my first show, so wow. Trinidad might have been MCing. Uh, it was really there were some great host and headliner combos. I remember one one night we were there for Amateur Night, and it was uh, Rousey headlining and Derek Edwards MCing. Oh,
0: what a one of shot. the last
1: times one of the last times anyone had got Derek Edwards as a as an open mic night MC, uh yeah yeah but it was uh yeah no that was, that was that was my first set i remember i bombed horribly i had two jokes that worked and one of them was a joke about how poorly i was doing <laughs> yep
0: <laughs> so was it enough though like were you hooked right away even though it was a, a bomb were you like uh, this is this is something i want to do for the rest of my life
1: it was like okay that was hard but but I got two laughs, so <laughs> let's let's expand on that. Let's go for three laughs next time.
0: Right. <laughs> and did it become <laughs> uh did it become a, a regular thing? Like were you able to start getting up every couple weeks at the at the Ajax Club from the very beginning?
1: Yeah, we would always call in like because uh, they would do like the morning call-in, and then you call in after lunch to find out if you got in on the morning call, in so we would all we would all go to the payphones outside of the campus bar and the comics would line up and we'd all put a quarter in and you'd, you'd try to sign yourself up and maybe a buddy, but uh, mostly yourself. And, uh, and then we'd all call back, one of us would call back at lunch and read back the list. So uh, uh, you, no matter how many of us got on, we'd all sort of carpool out together to uh, support each other and also to see you know, if, if someone no-showed, which occasionally happened. So right. would sign up for amateur night and then chicken out uh, and then you jump on and, uh, you know, Steve who ran the Ajax club was always a great guy. So, uh, uh it was a lot of fun and then we'd all hang out and then go for drinks with the comics afterwards, which is where the real education started. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. Those late night, uh, comic talks over some drinks. That's, that's a, uh, that's a schooling like no other
1: uh yeah, that's, you, that's where you learn the real lessons <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely uh that's you, where mike wilmont gets drunk and tells you you got to wear pants what are you doing wearing shorts on stage you got to wear pants you, 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 they don't ask for much in this business but at least dress like you have a job <laughs> yeah,
0: that's so awesome were you wearing shorts in the early uh in the early going
1: Oh, you know, what? I, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, Mike really likes to, my clothes. Uh, if I wear a funny T-shirt, he'll be like, "The shirt should never be funnier than the act." Just remember that, Kate Trev. You gotta. <laughs> you want him to laugh at the act, not the shirt. <laughs>
0: Classic nuggets of of wisdom from Mike Wilmot. I love it. Uh do you
1: remember? He busted my balls so hard once for eating a burger right before I went on stage. I hadn't eaten really? all day. We were at uh, Joanna's show out on the, the East End at the Eaton House. And uh, I, I ordered a burger, wolfed it down, and Mike's watching me eat this burger. He's like, Are, are you going on stage after this? What, what, what are you doing? Eating a whole sandwich. What do you think you're, Frank Sinatra? Eating a whole sandwich before you go on stage? And so I go up, I do my bit, and Mike gets on, Mike gets brought up after me. He's like, It still smells like K Trev's hamburger on the microphone. What is this? He thinks he's Frank Sinatra. He's, you know, Frank Sinatra. We need a full meal in between each show. And uh, if he couldn't hit the high notes on the second show, he'd blame the soup. Anyways, that's my story for the night.
0: <laughs> this episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by the Big Fish Steak and Lounge in Sarnia, Ontario. One of my personal favorite restaurants in in the world I was gonna say in the country but no in the world they have some of the greatest food I have ever had every single time I eat there I think to myself it will never get better than what I have just eaten and the next time I go back they top it once again it's that good if you live in the Sarnia area make sure you book your reservation for lunch or dinner or hell book your reservation for both right now do it tonight what are you gonna cook for dinner tonight probably something awful don't do that head on over to the Big Fish Steak and Lounge if you don't live in Sarnia I suggest you make a trip down just for the food or if you're going to be in the area stop in and have one of the greatest meals you will ever have this episode is also sponsored by the car lot etc in Sudbury Ontario where they make buying your next vehicle very very easy let's say you go online you find a vehicle that you want to test drive but you can't quite make it in, no problem at all. They will bring the vehicle to you so you can take that test drive right from your own home. They do have the largest used truck inventory in the north. They also have the best selection of cars, SUVs, and vans. If you're like me and your credit is, let's say, not great, that's no problem, they do have options for everyone. You can also trade in your vehicle. They offer the best trade in value in the north. So head on over to the website, thecardlot.ca and book a test drive right now. This episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by Cook'Em Secret and G's carpet cleaning and services for all your cleaning needs contact G's carpet cleaning and services and for your personal well-being contact Kukum Secret Sonotherapy with Drumming at G2 Cleaning Service I got a chance to actually go up to Timmins and uh, take part in the sonotherapy and the drumming. It was extremely relaxing. I recommend it highly. Head on over to G2CleaningService.com and book your time today and make sure you get some cleaning done while you're there. you remember what was the first uh like paid gig you had in in stand-up
1: yes it was a 200 a plate charity dinner in grand oh. bend oh wow and uh, uh my buddy uh nick bailey uh set it up uh his i think his mom had a hand in planning the event and they wanted comedians and they brought uh so Nick, uh, was sort of, uh, acting as the MC for the comics and it was myself and, uh, the wonderful Paul Shook, who was a, uh, a comedian, uh, in the city around, uh, 2000. He, he was, um, he had a sketch troupe with Levi McDougall and, um, uh, Tim, why can't I remember Tim's last name? Uh, but, uh. Uh, he he's he sort of, he's retired. He moved back to Weyburn, Saskatchewan and became a dad. But Paul at the time was, was one of my favorite uh, comics on the scene. He was just uh, re- at a really original style and was like just the, the nicest guy. So it was the three of us uh, out at the show. And he was, uh, I remember we, we were told to work clean because it was a charity show. And I remember that night, like anytime I was sort of suggestive, I got the biggest reaction from the crowd. So midway through my set, I took a gamble and was like, they told me to work clean, but you guys are giving me the feeling you want to hear something dirty. And the audience was like, yeah, and I was like, all right, I'm going to tell some dirty jokes. So uh, the, probably the first time I went against the request of the uh, <laughs> of the client, but uh, it, it, it worked out in my favor. The crowd wanted the, uh, the dirty joke. I, Told a story about my balls falling out of my shorts uh while i was rocking out on stage to a friend's band and uh i just remember someone's grandma on the front row bent over slapping her table laughing so hard and i was like okay okay they wanted the dirty stuff tonight <laughs> Grandma wanted the dirty stuff in Grand Bend, so yeah, that, that's, always,
0: that's always the gauge. Is if you see the grandma slapping the table, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> uh, so once you did that first paid gig, um, was it uh, was it pretty much from there, uh, stand up sort of full time, or were you still doing acting? Was it kind of 50 50?
1: I spent a lot of time doing a bunch of things, okay, and nothing really great. Uh, you know, when I started out, I already had the acting career going, so I was trying to keep that going, and then I was trying to launch a stand-up career, and I also had a sketch troupe for over ten years called Smelly. And uh, I was like. I, I was attacking it all, and but uh, not really focusing on one, and not really giving uh, either of the careers enough attention for them to uh, really flourish. So, I, for ten years, I, I pretty much dicked around uh, trying to do everything. I uh, focus on it. So, uh, around 2010, I, I knuckled down and was like, "Okay, stand." Up stand up gets uh, the most attention because it's the one that I can control. You know, that's the one that is directly, the success is directly related to the amount of work I put into it. And I don't have to rely on anyone else or any, like, you know, there's no other factors. Because with acting, you could be the greatest actor in the world, but you don't know who you're going up against. Uh, You know, there's like, you know, you don't know if you're the right, you don't know what the casting director, what they're picturing in their head for what this character looks like, you know, how this character sounds what this character feels, you know, you go in there and guess and, and you hope that either you do something that makes them change their mind or you do the exact thing that they were looking for, but it's a guessing game that uh, that you, you got to figure out. And uh, you know, there's, there's so many factors in mean, the sketch troupe. It's, you know, all the guys have to be just as motivated as you. They have to be willing to put in the work and, and, and there's no money in sketch. Let's be honest. Like uh, until you hit, you know, unless, unless you get a TV deal, there's, there's really no money in Sketch. So you're not paying your rent off of it. And so stand up, I could control. Stand up could show me returns. And uh, I, I focused uh, all my energy into that. And uh, you know, it paid off. It was like 2011, I got my first festival. I got Winnipeg. Uh, Lara uh, saw me doing Boyd Banks's show at the Underground. And, uh, I did 15 minutes on, uh, going to a swingers club and, and, uh, based on that, uh, Laura, uh, reached out to me and, and had me send some tape and, uh, submitted me for Winnipeg and got me hired there and, uh, you know, finagled my way into, uh, a, uh, a JFL edition for the first time in, in 2011 and then, uh, second time in 2012, which, uh, got me into the homegrown competition that year. And I and, uh, won that, which led to me doing JFL 42, which uh, led to me opening for Patton Oswalt and uh, Louis C.K. Uh, and then after that, people started returning my messages. Uh, um, people started getting back to me. I think for 10 years, I'd been... Twice a year, I would email every club in the country trying to get work, and uh, finally, in 2012, they started responding. So you
0: mentioned the homegrown, uh, the homegrown competition at Just for Laughs. Was that kind of your first sort of big break?
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I always consider Winnipeg uh, the first. You know, that sort of led to Just for Laughs because that was my first TV. That was my first experience uh you know doing my st- doing a stand-up set on television so I'd, I'd have to say that was like you know I want to give credit where credits due Winnipeg was was like the first big break uh and I think that really opened the doors and then but just for laughs you know again it's a whole other ball game out there uh you know and when I did it everyone told me not to expect much you know it's not the the 80s or the 90s anymore people aren't getting their development deals uh you know no one's getting their agent at JFL anymore. Uh, which is actually not true. I uh, I got first agents at uh, APA. Uh, I met at Just for Laughs and my second American agents at CAA. I met at Just for Laughs. Uh, I met the guys from Metric at Just for Laughs. They approached me about writing a TV show based on my stand-up and um, in the process of developing that project with them, uh, they brought me into audition for a little show called Letterkenny. So, uh, and then that led just for laughs got me roast battles, uh, right. which got me, which got me American TV uh, through roast battles. I met Jimmy Kimmel, which got me my first uh, late night appearance. Like uh, a lot of, a lot of the, the big milestones in my career have hit because Uh, of just for laughs. So if anyone ever tells you that nothing good ever happens at just for laughs, that nothing good ever happened for them, doesn't mean it's going to hold true for you. (laughs) Right. Which is a great point, right? Because a lot of
0: people will go and do stuff like that. Nothing happens for them. So they start talking shit about uh, you know, Oh, and nothing happens there. It's not the same, but yeah, I mean, it's all about opportunity and, and how you, uh, look at it and how you perform the roast battle. I'm curious for the roast battle. Was that something that you were, um, comfortable doing? Like, were you, were you doing a lot of roasts at the time? Uh, or, or was it, were you more picked for that because you were a really good uh, writer and performer?
1: You know, I was definitely out of my element, uh, doing the roasting. You know, I'm a long form storyteller guy, not so much a a set up, punchline kind of guy. Uh, but I I had had a good track record and they were looking for, you know, recognizable Canadian acts to sort of fit into this format. And also guys who had the, the freedom in their schedule at just for laughs to, to do the shows. Right. So, you know, I had, I had, um, just, I I had just enough booked that I I was available to do this run and and take advantage of this opportunity, but it was definitely out of my element, but I'm a guy who's always wanted to be the most well-rounded comic I could be. You know, it's, uh, I don't want to be known as like, you know, I want to be the best clean guy or the best dirty guy. I want to be able to do dirty and clean. You know, I want to, I want to be able to do, uh, roast. I also want to be able to do stories. You know, I want to try my hand at all the different types. I want to do sketch. I want to do improv. You know, I want to, Say that I've I've uh, dipped my toes in all of them and and uh, came out okay. So uh, this new challenge was like, well, I, I got to do it. I got to do it because I've never done it before. And um, I was actually talking to my fiance about this uh, a couple of days ago. We were talking about just uh, uh, when when you change your your outlook on life. When you you know, it's it's not so much that you you you, you think small, but you when you when when you don't hang your self worth on on uh, the achievement of impossible goals, you know, right. there's some people who are like, you know, I'll be happy when I get this, and then when I get this, I'll get this, I'll get this. You need to be that. If you not, if you enjoy the journey, uh, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be satisfied at the end. So I said, you know, for for years, my my philosophy with my career has always been instead of setting some goals, like I want to do a movie or I want to do this, or I want to do that. It's uh, I, I, every year I try to do something I've never done before. Every year I try to add something to the career that wasn't there the year before. Um, you know, whether that's a role on a TV show or, or, uh, just playing a, a club or a market, uh, I've, I've never been in. It's just, uh, you know, I just find like, rather than being like, I'm only going to be happy if I do this, like every year, add something different every year, add something new. And, and eventually it snowballs and you're adding two, three, four new things a year because the opportunities keep coming because you're open to the opportunity. And, uh, that's definitely what roast battles was. Like, I, I, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm for damn sure going to find out. And, uh, turns out, uh, I have a knack for being horrendous to strangers. Um, (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know the, that was the weirdest part about roast battles is so many of these people i was meeting them for the very first time like the day of and uh, I, I you know i look them up online like they they'd tell me who i'm roasting you have to google them and watch their stuff and and find out any information and I'd walk around uh, the parties at uh, JFL and ask for gossip on people. And and American comics are vicious. Like, I'd be like, what are people making fun of Sarah Tiana for? And I I asked Ari. He was like, I think she got catfished by a guy pretending to be a soldier. Uh, So you can make fun of her for that. And I'm like, no, that's a heartbreaking story. I can't believe you'd you'd tell me to make fun of someone for that. That's so sad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so so I, I... I'd have to find things out about these people. I'd have to make fun of them. I'd have to, you know, and then you'd have to have backup jokes too, in case you went into a tiebreaker and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a learning experience and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I had good sounding boards though. I, uh, I had an, uh, open message thread. Uh, most of the times I've done roast battles, I've had a message thread going with Hunter Collins and Tyler Morrison, uh, oh, who I consider two very top-notch roast roast writers in Canada. And I would, uh, bounce my jokes off of them and they would offer up uh suggestions to me and uh they were they were definitely a good uh, tool to use in the the utility belt uh, it's good to have a sounding board uh, and it was funny by, by like the second time i did it when we did the because the first time i did it was the untelevised uh version where they were testing the format it was the jeff ross uh roast invitational which was uh how it was presented at Just for Laughs. And the first year, it was won by Jimmy Carr. And uh, we were really building. I made it to the semifinals before I lost to Matt Broussard, who's known for his uh, Monday Punday website. And Matt's a really great writer. But uh, he beat me in the semifinals, knocking me out. But uh, we were building to this wonderful Cinderella story of the local Canadian boy going up against the, the hardcore British juggernaut that is... Uh, Jimmy Carr, and it didn't happen, and then uh, came back the next year, uh, and they they did the televised version of the Rose Battles, and I made it to the uh, semifinals again, being knocked out by uh, Mike Lawrence and then uh, Earl Skakel. Um, That group, by by the second time I did it, we were all sort of more familiar with each other. So there's actually at one point where I was like, I had threads going with Mike, and uh earl like and sarah where we're talking about shit we're gonna say to each other and like we're actually asking each other for ammunition and stuff and we're all offering it up because ultimately ultimately you want it to be a good show like right you know i, I don't i don't in the rose battle you don't want to go out there and blow someone out of the water you want to have a fight you want to you want to put on a show and uh and and so like you know you don't if someone goes like what can we make fun of you for you're going to offer up a weird anecdote or an odd story you're going to you're gonna roll over and expose your belly a little bit because you want it to be a, a good set and uh, we did that one and then it took a year off of roast battles and then I got to come back um, uh, my last just for laughs which is now two years ago which is this is uh, last year was the first uh, time I didn't go to just for laughs since uh, 2012 and uh, it's because they didn't have one so Uh, Of all the reasons to miss just for laughs, that's probably the best one on the old ego. It just didn't happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, But I got to go back and and do it again. And uh, I I made it all the way to the finals. And I am the reigning uh, Jeff Ross Roastmasters Invitational Champion with a uh, win over Jimmy Carr that uh, several people, several experts have uh, called the greatest roast battle in the history of roast battles. Wow. Uh, uh, Jimmy and I went all out against each other. Uh, like the, the rules is with, with uh, roast battles, you go joke for joke. So it's like three to five rounds, tit for tat. Someone does a joke, you do a joke. Uh, but Jimmy's always had this style of like almost doing a mini set each joke. Like he, he writes a piece on you and and delivers it and i've watched jimmy enough to know it and uh to know that that was what he was going to do so i was like so that's what i have to do to him i have to do to jimmy what jimmy's going to do to me so i didn't just write one joke i wrote you know a series of jokes for every joke and jimmy and i talked about it beforehand he was like he's like you know how i do this so you know that i'm going to do you know like a, a small series of jokes And he goes, just please don't be weird about it and don't act like you don't know that I'm going to do it and try to get me disqualified or anything. Just like, you know, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm like, Jimmy, I fully understand. I'm going to do the same thing. So you do your thing. Give me a little doff of the cap when you're done and I'll know that it's my turn to go and that way we won't step on each other and I'll do the same to you. And Jimmy was like, perfect. So we'll rip each other to shreds like gentlemen. And uh, we went out and it was like, you know, it's like 25 jokes a piece. We just annihilated each other, uh, you know, a verbal onslaught. And it was amazing. Like uh, the packed house at Club Soda, uh, you know, tore the roof off the place. And, and like the judges were like Michael Rappaport uh, and Anthony Anderson from Blackish, uh, Michael oh, nice. Che, uh, you know, Howie Mandel, Jeff Ross. Uh, Neil Brennan, like all these great heavyweight comics. Uh, They're watching Pete Holmes, like uh, so many tremendous comics uh, and, and Blake Griffin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Blake's a really funny guy. Super nice dude with so much fun hanging out with him. Uh, and it was great. I, uh, I, what pushed me over the edge was Jimmy always has his notebook on him. And I committed everything to memory. And I think that's what gave me the annihilator's edge over uh, over Jimmy in that. Uh, but uh, I, I got a lovely trophy up on my uh, up on top of my china hutch.
0: Oh, that's wicked, man! Is, <laughs> was that televised or was that just for the live crowd?
1: No, that was just for the live crowd. Wow. I, I, they were very strict too about uh, uh, you know cameras and stuff. So I, I'd be—I don't think any tape of it exists anywhere, which is kind of beautiful. Cause it's just one of those things where you had to be there to witness it. And anyone who was there, uh, got to see a great show.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. And congratulations, man. That's, that's a huge accomplishment.
1: Thanks Um, bud. Yeah, no, it was a lot
0: of fun. You also mentioned at JFL that you got your first uh, first and second American agent. And I'm curious, what's that process like? Do they approach you uh, at the festival? Do they wait and get in touch uh, a couple weeks after? Do you have like a meeting in a hotel? How does that go down?
1: Uh, the, the first time, uh, it was literally they – I came off stage and there was a guy waiting to talk to me from APA, uh, Josh, my, my former agent there and uh david Himmelfarb, uh who's a toronto lawyer and has uh, acted as a manager for the kids in the hall at different times and for mark little and guys like that uh I, i'd met him uh and, and uh dave uh, wasn't repping me but uh, i was there uh pretty much unwrapped my canadian agents uh didn't make the trip out and this was pre uh taking on barry as my manager so he said he'd uh he'd point me in the right direction of people to talk to. And so when he saw me talking to APA, he was like, you're already in the right direction. I'm going to leave you alone. So. (laughs) (laughs) That's a super, a a super nice guy. So we got to chatting and then, uh, had a, we chatted that night and then set up a meeting later on in the fest. And then I flew out to LA and uh, took some meetings with them. And, um, you know, you, 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 Certain people uh, you meet to to bring you to certain places. And and even if you don't finish the journey together, uh, they they help you in the path. And APA definitely helped me in the path. And uh, there was just, you know, some differences that caused us to part ways. Uh, You know, they they felt really strongly I needed to be in Los Angeles and I felt really strongly that I didn't. And, uh, you know, um, but they also uh started me on the process to finding a manager which i ended up uh, going with my good buddy barry taylor at comedy records but they also introduced me to uh my lawyer um who's jeff cohen uh who's been a great help to my career and who you probably know jeff best as a chunk from the goonies that guy's a lawyer now uh chunk is my entertainment lawyer wow uh, and but uh, the guys at uh, at APA, they were we, really terrific guys, really nice guys. We just had a, a couple different opinions, and then uh, the the second agents actually, uh, my manager Barry was working with CAA with uh, another client uh, of Comedy Records and theirs, and they got to chatting and they showed interest in me, and uh, they they had uh, they saw a way to to help my career without. Forcing me uh, to move, Um, and it just uh, uh, fit better into the plan that I had for what I wanted to do with my career, and uh, I I made the switch. And uh, they've been terrific. CAA is my my team there is is a top notch group, and uh, uh, they really know what they're doing. And it's like it's nuts because like you go to their office and they have uh, they had the I was at their office last January for some meetings, and they have the Beatles drums from the Ed Sullivan Show in the lobby of their oh. building on display, and you're like, "This is like crazy powerful Hollywood people, like, yeah, <laughs> right here." Like, it's like, and and, then, and on the TV screen, it's like all of our clients from the Golden Globes, and it's like Tom Hanks, uh, CAA client, since you know, blah 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 blah. Julia Roberts, CAA client from you know, Brad Pitt, and like, oh, oh, okay, so I've heard of these guys. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Has there ever have you met? Have you got a chance to meet uh, anyone really famous so far that um, say didn't go as as best as you thought? Without naming names, of course, but anybody that was uh, a bit a bit of a dick.
1: Uh, I can't say anyone that was a you know too much of a dick. I met Mike Myers, and and he was a bit shy and reserved. But I, from what I understand, that's a bit par for the course for Mike. Um, but that was at a JFL party. And uh, he he uh, was trying to sneak in like a back way and security wasn't going to let him and I was standing. Uh, I just had to be standing out there having a dart and uh, I was like, it's fucking Mike Myers, like let him in. He's a national treasure for goodness <laughs> sakes. You know yeah. who he is. Like you can break the rule for Mike Myers. He's not sneaking in eight other people with him just let him in for goodness sake. So they let Mike in and, and I I Like, Mike, I got to take this opportunity. Uh, I hate to bother you, but uh, uh, as a guy from Etobicoke, I figure it's uh, just uh, I should probably snap a picture with a kid from Scarborough. And uh, he goes, Well, we're supposed to be sworn enemies, but I'll allow it this time. And we uh, we snapped a photo and and and, uh, that was that. But uh, and no one, I I can't say that I've met anyone that I was expecting better from, and they turned out to be a dick. Like, uh, I, I once went up to Judd Apatow expecting him to remember me from the year before, and he didn't, uh, but that was really my fault more than Judd's. That was, I was like, Hey, great to see you again. And he was like, yeah, right. And then turned away and went back to, you know, the conversation I was interrupting. So right. like, I was, I was actually probably the dick in that situation. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, Blake Lively's brother was kind of a tool but uh, really? uh, <laughs> I did a disease of the week did a disease of the week film with him a hundred million years ago and and uh, he was a bit of a dingus uh, <laughs> he was just he was just very uh, full on himself and uh, right. uh, he, he, we were filming on a train car and he would after every take he would go check the playback which was just stretching out the shooting day uh, unnecessarily long uh, to like you know make a trip out to Video Village every time, and uh, for for his reaction shots, he like he was very specific about needing his his eye line. So I was like hugging a cameraman okay. so that I could do his reaction shot, so that he could have the proper eye line. And uh, and then he he like leaves when his stuff's done, and uh, I was like, can we just can we just do my reactions? Like uh, I was actually supposed to graduate from high school that day. So I was trying to get out of there so I could go to my graduation ceremony. And um, it was just stretching on into the night. And it was already like, we'd started filming late, uh, later than wanted. So we were, they like told me to hurry up and get there by noon. And then we didn't start shooting till six. So I was like a useless six hours. So I, I, was, I really just wanted to go. And I was like, can we just shoot my reactions uh, uh, while we're waiting? And uh, they're like, don't you want to wait for him to come back? And I'm like. How about this? When do you read his lines, and I'll just uh, act like he's here, and uh, <laughs> and uh, the the they radio the director, and the director was cool with it, and we did three takes before he made it back to the set, and uh, he was like, "So do we want to do your reactions now?" And I was like, "Oh, we're done." But how was your eye line?
0: <laughs>
1: Perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's awesome you also mentioned uh at jfl that's where the guys from letter kenny um first first found you is that right
1: yeah uh mark montefiore and pat o'sullivan uh who were running up new metric at the time uh approached me about uh, uh creating a stand-up or a, a, a tv show based around my my stand-up and um uh, we got to chatting and and hit it off they were they still are really nice guys. Uh, And so that, that started that conversation and we followed up, you know, uh, over email and stuff a little while later. And I, I cooked up uh, a couple different pitches uh, that I sent their way and none of them, uh, none of them really sparked their interest. They weren't uh, really what they were looking for. Some of them were like uh, really conceptual outside the box. Like uh, uh, I, I really wanted to do a show that was, very aware it was a a tv show kind of like the the original uh gary shandling show the the gary shandling show starring gary shandling uh (laughs) which uh often referenced the fact that it was a tv show being filmed in front of a an audience and there are other references too like um uh, uh george burns and gracie allen their show uh burns and allen uh often uh referenced the fact that it was a tv show i mean part of it the whole gag was you know, George Burns looking dead into the camera and breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience. But they also did some really meta out there stuff at the time. Like when they they uh, one of the cast members quit and they recast the role and uh, the way they did that is like during the filming of an episode the character was about to get hit by his wife by a rolling pin and he went, wait I'm not doing this anymore. Got up and left and the new actor came in sat down and got hit by the rolling pin and that's how they that's how they signified the changeover in casting by actually doing it right in front of the audience at a taping one day oh wow uh so so i wanted to do a show like that a show that was very aware it was a tv show and um for a lot of reasons they decided to, to pass on it but uh that started uh you know that started the conversations and put me definitely in their head and and uh i know Uh, Now that they and Bell uh, uh, highly recommended me for for Kenny, which uh, helped me get the job.
0: And was that something you had to uh, do an audition for or were they were they did they know you were the guy?
1: No, I I auditioned for it. Um, I went out and read for it. Same as anyone else. I was actually the second choice for the role. Uh, The the part itself was written for Dan Petronevich, who plays McMurray on the show. Dan worked with uh, Jared previously on 19-2. So they were good buddies from that. And Squirrely Dan was fully written for Petronevich to play. And uh, he, he auditioned. He got cast. He had network approval. Uh, it was all ready to go. And then he had, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm still not 100% clear on all the issues. I know uh, part of it was he got cast in Suicide Squad. Uh, another part was he had some, some personal things he had to take care of, but he couldn't commit to uh, the role of Dan as they had envisioned it. So he had to pass on it, which led to uh, him getting cast as uh, McMurray. Uh, and, and I mean, he's tremendous in that role. McMurray definitely wouldn't be the same uh, without without Dan. The show wouldn't be the same without Dan, but I lucked out because when he passed on Squarely Dan, that opened up the door for me and I was I was second choice, and uh they brought me in and and I know there was a little bit of apprehension when I first came in uh from jared not not uh, knowing me too well and not uh being sure if he was going to be able to write for me and uh, if the character was going to work out i was I was one of the last uh, characters to be made series regular out of the series regulars just because of uh that sort of uh, beginning and uh But after the first table read, uh, I, I won, uh, Jared and Jacob's confidence and, uh, they gave me back all the speeches that they'd cut and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, Dan started to become uh, the Dan we know and love today.
0: Oh, that's awesome, man. And you guys were were able to do, was it an arena tour that you were on a couple of years ago?
1: Uh, well, I mean, it was mostly theaters, but uh, with a few arenas thrown in for good measure. Uh, we did, we did two uh, like Canadian tours. One like giant two month tour, and then a uh, another one It was like a three week uh, smaller tour. But both like straight across Canada, starting starting in the east and working our way out to the west, uh, and then. Um, two years ago, we did a three-show U.S. tour uh, where we did um, uh, Minneapolis, uh, New York, and Chicago, uh, and uh, we, we sold out all, all six shows uh, on that run. And then last year, we were in the midst of our first-ever full-on North American tour, which was going to be another two-month ordeal starting in the east coast of canada and then we were supposed to finish in april in los angeles was we supposed to end the tour after crisscrossing uh, uh, canada and the united states but unfortunately uh, covid brought us to a grinding halt i think march 12th will be the one year anniversary of coming off the road we just did our first u.s show of the tour we I did a sold out show at the Masonic temple in uh, Detroit, Michigan for about uh, 5,000 people there or how many that theater holds. And uh, we were in Buffalo getting ready to do our next U S show. And I was literally, I, I'd gone out front to uh, meet the shuttle that was going to take us to the gig. And I got a phone call from, uh, from Kiso uh, saying that, uh, uh the tour's been uh, been scrapped and we're heading home so uh go upstairs and pack your bag and oh. uh and that was it we luckily we were I mean luckily we were only 15 minutes from the border so it was a quick trip home but uh you know it could have been worse we could have been in the middle of it right in the thick in uh Nashville or a place like that but yeah uh, it's too bad because we were looking forward to that tour you know the American fans um it's been really great, the reception has been terrific. And there were just some fun opportunities. You know, I was going to do, I was going to play uh, Nashville for the first time. We were going to go to Atlanta. We were playing, uh, you know, theaters in LA. We were going to do Vegas for the first time. We'd actually been invited uh, to take a tour of NASA uh, when we were in Houston by, by the people at NASA. They really liked our whole bit about uh, uh, the astronauts we did uh, a couple seasons ago. Uh, <laughs> about Roberta's Bondars theirs the
0: <laughs> that's awesome so they,
1: they'd invited us to take a tour and unfortunately we, we weren't able to take them up on it uh, but you know we're, we're, we're hopeful that one day we'll get back out there on the road again and, and be able to, to uh, I guess they never fully canceled the tours because enough people complained to me that they never got a refund so uh, I imagine we owe these people a show <laughs> uh so uh, hopefully hopefully we'll get back out there
0: was there a uh, was there a favorite show uh especially on the the canadian side that you guys got to do that was just like one of those nights where you just can't believe that you get to do this
1: there are some really tremendous shows like i uh, uh when we played like casino rama and and uh, caesars in windsor those were like, uh, you know, those were about 5,000 people in the crowd and, and, you know, show that size like it's just the the literally literal waves of laughter like you got to give a second for the reaction you, you tell a joke and you got to wait for it to roll to the back of the room and then for the laughter to roll from the back of the room forward it's, uh, it's really something else. Um, doing the theater shows in Toronto were also a lot of fun uh, uh, being, you know, being in my hometown and doing a sold out uh, theater gig is, is pretty sweet. The one at the Masonic temple, like uh, just a, the, the sheer size and, and having that reception um, also Winnipeg, but uh, just cause the Burton Cummings theater has, uh, has got a ton of history to it. You know, you, you play some of these shows in these classic venues and, and you know, you like the Burton Cummings Theater, that's like you know, that's one of those original uh, theater spaces in this country, you know, and, and like the Marx brothers played that stage. Charlie Chaplin played that stage, you know, right. like the, the legends of vaudeville, and you walk out onto that and you feel those ghosts of humor, you know, you feel the you you feel the presence of everything that's happened before on that stage and uh you you become very humbled and grateful that you get to earn your living uh uh, following in the shadows of these great uh great specters that went before you and uh it was very uh some really beautiful moments doing the show
0: that's awesome man i i remember last year we on um, like before everything shut down, I was in uh, Illinois doing doing some shows, and as soon as they found out we were Canadian, for the rest of the night, our our uh, there was these two guys that asked nothing but Letter Kenny questions, <laughs> and then could not like refused to believe that I knew you personally. <laughs> they were like, "There's no way there, there's no way he's squirrelly Dan." You like and asked like a hundred questions. I don't know if you remember, but. Uh, Ty Wright sent you a message uh, like on Facebook or something. And we didn't not even realize it was like three in the morning. And he's like, I, I, I have to message him because like we were getting angry at these guys. They would not shut the fuck up about it. And we're like, OK, listen, I didn't have my phone or my phone was dead. And Ty's like, OK, fuck, I'll, I'm going to message him right now. We'll prove that we know this guy. But it was like three in the morning. So you never wrote back. So we just looked like liars. (laughs) So we left there with these guys being like, you don't know him.
1: (laughs) Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I got a phone call out of nowhere from my cousin and uh, like he never calls. So right away I'm like, who, who died? You know, whenever, whenever you get a phone call from a family member, it's, Oh oh no. Some tragedy has just befallen the, the family. And uh, now he was just drunk in North Carolina, and no one believed he was my cousin. So, <laughs> so he called me up to prove it, and then passed the phone around to a bunch of drunken servicemen who we were all like, "What? No! Oh, holy cow! No way!" Just losing their mind.
0: Have you had any crazy fan experiences? I mean, especially on tour, are, are people? Have you had any like? Um, any, any dangerous situations, anybody getting out of hand?
1: Uh, you know, nothing I'd, I'd say too dangerous. I just some rude dinks on the, uh, on the internet occasionally. Uh, but you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. I mean, in, in the States, we generally have, uh, a police presence at the show and security escorts us to, uh, to our vehicles. And, uh, so, I mean, that was a, that was a brand new experience. Uh, and then that has been the weirdest thing about the tour sometimes is like having to wait for the crowd to die down outside I I guess the closest thing we once uh, we were doing um, uh, I want to say Grand Prairie but it might even been further north than that Uh, we were in Alberta doing doing one of the shows and uh, we were at the local hockey rink and I mean Talk about it! Like the the late show at that one was just a shit show. Remember after the show, uh, Nate Nate went to the like first off. It was the sh- most people got thrown out of that show than any other show on the tour. Um, and and after the show, Nathan came back from the bathroom and just and said, "It is nothing but cocaine and vomit in there. Oh. It is just just oh, rig workers hoovering up the schneef and." Yacking all over the place, and uh, and it was just a zoo. And and after the show, Piso and I were having a dart out out uh, next to the bus, and this woman with a, as Ryan Denis would put it, uh, with a voice like she just gargled a cake mixer, uh, hollers at us from across the street, and and starts trucking like starts running towards us. And Don, the bus driver, goes, you boys get the fuck on the bus. I'll cut her off at the pass. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Shoes us onto the bus and locks the door. And Don was a riot. He was our bus driver for our first tour. He was up from uh, Oklahoma. He came with the bus. We tried to hire a Canadian bus company, but they all turned us down. None of them wanted to, none of them wanted to commit to a two-month tour. So they really? turned us all down. Yep. Well, one of them was already booked with uh, Jim Cuddy. So they they said no, and then the other ones just didn't want to be out that long. But then they tried to stop our bus from coming over the border, saying it was stealing work from them. And it was like it didn't steal your work; you turned the work down, you knobs. You can't you can't complain that someone else took the job you said no to.
0: Yeah, that's. Anyways, crazy. I digress. Yeah.
1: So Don Don was up from Oklahoma, and all he wanted to do was uh, see a moose. <laughs> he was super excited to see a moose. That's that's what he wanted to see, and then. Uh, Remember halfway through the tour, I was up front of the bus with him having a dart, shooting the shit. And I was like, So, so have you seen a moose yet? He goes, You know, the one thing I always forget when I'm driving these runs, everyone tells me how beautiful the scenery is, how lovely Canada is. He goes, I know I'm driving at night. I can't see shit. <laughs> <laughs> Did he see the moose? Never saw his moose. Couple uh. of goats. I, I don't think he ever saw the moose. I don't think he ever saw the moose. He did have the greatest line that we were in the East Coast, and, and we pulled up to get gas at a, at a what turned out to be a fake flying J. Fake it flying a, J? It was a fake flying J. They were flying the flying J signs, but they were not an approved flying J. And, uh, oh, man, Don lost his shit. And uh, he said something along the lines of, I've been through three divorces and a buttfuck, and I've never seen anything as crazy as this. And I was the only one awake to catch, to catch that line. And, uh, I was just like, I have to remember this and tell everyone, uh, <laughs> and I remember telling the, the guys the next morning and, uh, it was a good solid laugh, uh, for me and Keith and, uh, and Nate dog on the, on that particular, uh, that particular line.
0: Three divorces and a butt fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what a line. Wow. <laughs> Legendary. I have to say a huge thank you to K. Trevor Wilson for, uh, for doing this show, for taking the time um, to, to be here and to do this. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, give him a follow. He's the only K. Trevor Wilson on the Internet. So if you want to follow him, see where he's going to be, as uh, soon as live shows come back, make sure you go and see him do stand-up live. One of the best you will ever see. Thank you so much to K. Trevor Wilson for doing this. Thank you to you guys for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on our YouTube channel, The Jeff Leeson Show. It would be great if you'd go ahead and subscribe. That way you'd know when these come out. You you, you subscribe, you click the bell or the notification thing and then you know when a new video has come out. And that way I don't have to tell you and bother you like some kind of asshole. So go ahead, do that. Thank you for listening. Uh, we are This podcast is available everywhere that you get your podcast unless it's in a place where this is not, in which case it's not everywhere you get your podcast and maybe you get your podcast in a fucked up place. You ever think of that? Huh? Maybe it's not my fault. Anyways. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for all the support. And I hope to see you next week.